0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored
0: by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? Nerd Wallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast
1: app. Future you will thank you. Welcome into Loho Daily. I'm Lawrence Holmes, a.k.a. Loho. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode of the podcast. This was a real treat today. Pat McGann, who's one of the funniest dudes in Chicago, had some time. And, you know, I love to bring in comedians and talk with them because I like to learn about the art form of what they do, and Pat's one of the best that does it. He's going to be at Zanies Chicago in Old Town this weekend if you want to go check him out. And he's going to be in Zany's Rosemont next weekend. So you can check him out there. So rosemont.zanies.com, zany's.com if you want to get yourself some tickets to see Pat McGann. He's great. Along with being a comedian, he's also a big White Sox fan. So in here we do talk some White Sox. And I'm glad that he agreed to come be on the podcast because he gave us a a, a lot of time to talk uninterrupted with us not having to worry about commercials or anything else. I honestly wish I had more time with him, but I promise you that he will be back. He said he'd be down with coming back. If you would like to follow him on Twitter, you can very simply at McGann, M-C-C. I'm sorry, Damn, I screwed that up, Pat. Here we go. M C G A N N Pat. McGann Pat. So here's my conversation about comedy, about baseball, about life with Pat McGann. The morning show guy at Jams is Ed Lover. So is he here in Chicago? Yeah,
2: he's he was you walked I, right past him. I knew he was here, but I thought that was like syndicated.
1: Thought... No, no. He's here
2: like oh, every day. Man. Like he he you'll probably see him in the hallway when you leave. But yeah, it's Ed it's, Lover, you, I saw him brick a shot in one of those jock jam games. What were those? Uh, Rockin the jock? Rockin' Jocks? Oh, man. With uh, uh, Dan He'd, Cortez? I remember he had kind of <laughs> an ugly J. Uh, and that's when we were playing, uh, when I was playing a lot of hoops, and me and my buddies used to get on each other and call each other Ed Lover if you, like, brick some shots. Oh, shot. really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, I got to share that with him. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to have this be played on jams. I, I was it s- that
1: bad? Do I need to YouTube it?
2: It was It was rough. He was like, really? I think he was wide open and like uh, hit the opposite side of the backboard, like from the side, from the wing, oh. hit the opposite side. <laughs> you breaking my heart about my man, Ed Lover, but hey. Maybe he's worked on his jumper. This is like mid-90s. I used to love
1: those games. Like, I really did, like, because it would be a lot of fun, and they had, what, the 25-point yeah. shot that you could make and all that stuff. It was not stuff. difficult
2: to make it either. No. It was, it was just straight up. It was like a Steph Curry 3. Right. Now. This a raindrop or teardrop, what do they call them? Teardrop? Like the, when you put it up in the- Floater? Floater.
1: Yeah. So so this is great. Since we're the same age, we can totally just do like the- the, Remember when. Yeah, we could do all of our cool stuff. Like the moment when you realize that on G.I. Joe, no one ever died. (laughs) I didn't watch a ton of G.I.
2: Joe, but I I do get the reference for sure.
1: It'd be like plane gets hit, everyone parachutes (laughs) out, no one ever dies. It's a really, really great thing. That's why it's not violent.
2: You can be as violent as you want if no one dies, right? It was a Hasbro thing, so I don't think that they wanted that on TV, for sure. I watch Tom and Jerry sometimes. I got kids, and I'll pull it up on YouTube and be like, this is what I used to watch, you know? And they're like, they're not talking. It's like, yeah, they're not talking. And then, like, they're still alive. Like, they never – to me, I would love those cartoons growing up.
1: I did, too, but then when you get older, like, you see some of the stuff in it, like some of the real stuff, like with Tom and Jerry in particular –
2: Oh, there's some, yeah, there's some. The racism racism.
1: is it's just dripping. And but they changed it. So like if you see old Tom and Jerry cartoons that we remember, yeah, where they would have the, you know, stereotypical like mammy type character, she's now like got a British accent. Like it's (laughs) It's it's, like Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) It's like, so I saw it in the airport and I, was, I said to my wife, it's was like, they oh, can't,
2: they can't be showing this. There's year. some chauvinism too in that it too. It's, oh, it's total. It's yeah, out it of not, pocket. Some of it is not aged well, but the best episodes were when the, were when the humans weren't even in them. I agree with you. I, I also I did
1: like the ones where occasionally Tom would talk. Mm. You know, when, when usually when he was trying to pick up a lady, yeah. you know, the is you is or is you ain't my baby, like episode <laughs> of that was dope. Like, I love that. I always found Jerry to be a hater, you know. Yeah. Like if you really think about it, like Jerry was a hater. Like he never wanted Tom to do anything but chase
2: him. Right? Yeah, that's funny, man. You really analyzed it. I, I was just like, probably analyze watch it. it with a blank. Probably analyze. Turn the it brain off. <laughs> can Can I ask you
1: some comedy questions? <laughs> yeah, I know man, you can ask me anything. Look, when I listen to to comedians talk about stuff, I know that you get tired of like the rote stuff but it is interesting to me so sure. I'm I'm curious what made you say I'm funny
2: I can be in front of a st- uh, in front of a crowd on a stage you know that was the hardest thing to actually that probably held me back from starting when I was younger is I didn't have the confidence or like the yeah, I guess confidence to say like yeah I could do this because I always felt like the reaction would be like why do you why do you think you can do that because my buddies were funnier than me and I was, I've been around funny people my whole life. So to then say, well, I'm gonna pursue this as a, you know, career or even at the time I started as just as a hobby, but, um, what made it like possible. I remember I met my now wife and I was just telling her about it and she was, she was like, didn't understand at all the hesitation. She was like, do it. Why not? Like all these people are from somewhere. They started somewhere. And, We went to some open mics. I kind of, like, checked them out, and that gave me some confidence, too, because I was like, I could at least do that. You know, you go to open mic, there can be some rough sets. They're all over the city. Anyone can pop in any of those, and you see, like, okay, well, this is what I want to try. This is how you start. I could at least do that, and then you – because there are people that aren't even prepared. Like, I felt like I would at least be prepared, like, write something, memorize it, and have something to say. What I was not ready for was, like, the big lights in the eye, because I, I kind of scouted, like I said, a couple of open mics, and I went to the one that most, to me, felt like a comedy club. Like, I I had been to Zanies before, and I thought that that was what you did if you started stand-up in Chicago, that you got to get to Zanies. Like, I didn't know that there was, like, this independent scene and, like, this whole um, alternative scene at the time, what they called it. I didn't know anything about that. So I was just like, I'm going to go to this place. This feels like a comedy club, and then I'll try and... And
1: someone will discover me, and I'll end yeah. up
2: at Zany's. Yeah, it took it took a while. I, I did get lucky. I um, had a nice first showcase at Zany's and got a booking. I remember I, like, did the open mic in September, and I got a booking, like, two weeks later for May. So I had, like, all this. And then, like, this May date was looming. And at that time, I was, like, going out to um, Walter Payton's Roundhouse in Aurora and uh, doing spots everywhere downtown, like, I say downtown because I'm a south-sider, but on the north side, I would just be popping into bars wherever they had open mics and trying to get ready for that Zanies thing.
1: When did you know that it it was a career, that it wasn't just, oh, you know, I like to do comedy, but I could actually make a living out of this. I can travel. I can see the world, and I'm good at what I do.
2: Yeah, when I was um, asked to be house MC at Zanies, I felt like this could potentially grow You know, I didn't know what it was going to grow to or, you know, I still don't know where it It, it will all go, right? Everyone has this different path. But, like, when Zanies asked me to be House MC and they were paying me, like, a weekly rate that was decent. I mean, it was not, like, anything I could live off of. But it was – I kind of knew what other comics were making. And not that it was about – making money but you know you have to live you have to live you have to be like i get it like oh i'm a the whole artist thing but, i mean i don't like to get into that like oh i'm a i'm a, an artist or my art like i just like being a smart ass and if i can make money doing it and making people laugh like that's what i love and but once you start making money and if you are going to do it you have to you know i got three kids i got a mortgage i got to make money you know
1: how hard is it to write from night to night? Like, if if you're hosting and you've got a bunch of nights in a row, like, yeah, how do you go into your particular? Is it do you leave when it alone was, or do you you see what the room is or do you already have always, stuff
2: prepared? So when I started, I was kind of like a prisoner of my material. I could only do like the stuff that I had memorized. And then zanies as a host, they were like, you gotta talk to them. You gotta ask them where they're from. You gotta find out if anyone's celebrating anything. Like those are the two things they really wanna do to ask. So I started with that. And then I started being able, I was comfortable enough where I had some answers I used all the time, like some stock stuff, but started to gain this comfort on stage to talk to people. And I did, I did a ton of crowd work at that time, which I don't really do anymore. But at that time I was doing a ton of the crowd work, so every set was different. And then I would I might like sneak in some bits at the end to get up to, get them in in the rhythm because as a host, you're supposed to warm them up and then get them in the rhythm of hearing comedy and then hand it off to the next comic so that the crowd is like re- ready to to consume comedy in like a rhythm form or whatever it is, you know, they're focused. Um, so that was um kind of how I grew in that phase and getting comfortable on stage is the biggest thing and then writing you know i don't write every single day i i should be more disciplined with it but i'll wait till things start kind of my mind starts turning a lot of times i'll think of things when i'm driving and i'll jot something in my phone or voice record a note um and then sometimes i will just get a notebook out and just like kind of almost journal like what have i been doing is there anything funny in there you know what's going on with the kids. What's going on with my wife, and and then I'll kind of mine that material a little bit. What's the job of an opener? Because I I've always wondered. Because you've opened
1: for some pretty big names in, in the industry. Is it okay for you to
2: kill as yeah. the opener? Yes, I think so. I think that you should, if you're killing in a appropriate way, yeah, you should. You should be up there doing. You know, depending on the venue, depending on the um, the situation, um, I think that you should, you know, it, you know, you can sneak some new stuff in occasionally, but I think if, like, the shows that I'm doing with Sebastian, these people are spending a lot of money to go to a theater, to go to a show. Like, these people, they're going to be entertained. They're there to see their guy. They're there to see Sebastian. But, you know, they're also, like, he wants them to have a, a great experience the whole the entire show. So he trust me as his opener to go out there and break it open and, you know, get them going. And I think, I don't think he wants me up there like trying new stuff or, but what I do not do as the opener is I do not do any crowd work. I do not do any local references really at all. Why not? Because I, I feel like that is his. And for me to take that away or to, mention a premise before he has the opportunity to i don't think that's that's cool it's his show i'm just there to my job is to be good be professional get him going but I, you know i don't think that people uh, that are opening for comics doing local stuff or doing a ton of crowd work it's just a disservice to who's going to follow you when you're done with your set how much will you watch of the
1: other comics, or are you in replay mode where you're figuring out like this worked for my set, this didn't work? How long, like how long do you give? I guess the 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 improper way to say it is what's your refractory pe- yeah. period after you you go
2: on? When I do the Sebastian shows, if I am trying something new, I'll think about those new things, um, or I'll just be that's probably what I'll be thinking about. Or I'll uh, think about, like, oh, I, sh- I should have done this joke or switched the order. or And then I'll I'll watch him occasionally. You know, if I feel like if I watch him, if you watch one person all the time, they're going to, like, seep in your subconscious, and you're going to be too influenced by them, I mm-hmm. think. I enjoy watching his new stuff. when he, I notice when he's doing new things, um, and that's how I kind of know all the stuff he's doing. But I don't know the order. I don't know... The show from beginning to end. And then occasionally I'll just be in the mood and I'll be like, you know what? I'm just gonna enjoy this. I'm gonna go as a as a comedy fan and go watch him and be in the environment which I love being in an audience and feeling that energy and laughing. And I'm not a big laugher, but like being around their laughter, like I I just love it. What's
1: the best crowd that you've been in front of? Like, that, that you remember, like, yeah, this is... We
2: did a show in Pittsburgh this year at their Symphony Hall that was explosive. It was a beautiful theater right in downtown Pittsburgh. Which is a gross- great city, by the way. Yeah, and I don't know Pittsburgh that well. I've only been there, like, a couple times. PNC Park? Had- I got a great PNC story. Okay. But the, uh, that show was lights out. There was a, a show in Detroit that was phenomenal. What, what makes for, for
1: you a hot crowd? Like, What's, what's the kind of criteria for what you want?
2: You know, it's incredible that I can like, talk like this because these are all Sebastian's audiences that I'm getting to be in front of. I mean, I'm happy when I'm at a comedy club and it's a packed room on a Friday, Saturday, and it's just electric. And it, but doing these theaters, and I've done so many now, I love like a Chicago theater style size or even smaller, like the old vaudeville houses that are like 1400 to 1800 seats. They're like kind of steep. They're straight up and down the balcony. Then you get the main floor, no center aisle. I don't like the center aisle. It kind of like splits the theater. Like I want seats. We're all right up in, Oh man, those places like rock. Like there's one in Austin called the Paramount Denver. I think is also called the Paramount. Like now that I've, I've been, like, so spoiled going to all these venues,
1: man. I went to a, like, as, I enjoy stand-up comedy, and I'm now, like, I have a couple of friends that do monthly shows. My buddy Dave Hellum does the the show Dave. at North. Yeah. You know, he does that, comes back home once a month, and I, I really enjoy it. I saw a show Christmas Eve, God, maybe five years ago now. And it blew my mind. It was one of those pop up shows where Hannibal was like, "Hey, I'm in town, man." So it was Hannibal and Amy Schumer. No kidding. So, so that's that was the to get you in the door. That Tonic room, Uh, beat kitchen. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that's like a 300 person venue, venue, and we were all standing for it. So you're going there. It's like, oh, it's it's Amy, it's Hannibal. It'll be great. Like every Chicagoan was. It was bananas. Deion Cole popped in no kidding. and did a set. I I didn't realize this until it happened. I was standing next to John Mullaney. Really? Yeah, he was just he had come from midnight mass. Wow. <laughs> he just was standing there in the parka. They call him up. He throws the parka to to I think at the time his girlfriend now his wife goes up there and just did 15 minutes and walked out and it was incredible like the whole experience was um was really incredible and i i i know that that stuff happens a lot in new york mm-hmm. to see it happen in chicago right was so that's dope. a great
2: point that's a great point yeah you don't see it as much in chicago um names like that and um when those things happen man it is and, and it's to me i always think about like yeah it's so great for them but to me i always think about the comics like what a great like we live for those moments. Like they, these guys are going to be like Deion Cole is going to be up there, and Hannibal, Amy Schumer, Mulaney. Like, and if you were able to pop on that a show like that, like so they are excited. They're like he's probably like wow, there's a show down the street. Like he couldn't stay away. He probably was a it, what business family down the street going to midnight yeah. mass, and like. You can't stay away, man. That's these huge names. When you go, like you, uh, when you talk about New York, I was just doing uh, Gotham out there, and Seinfeld dropped in on my show. What? Can't stay away, man. He's you got to stay sharp. You got to try new stuff. You got to do it. Like everyone has to go through that. You have to have those. So Seinfeld does that a lot in New York. But I got to introduce him. I got the call because I was headlining the show. And I got the call at like 4 in the afternoon, hey, Seinfeld's coming in your first show tonight. And this is the first time I'm doing a New York club, like closing it out. Like I was nervous. And now I got Seinfeld coming. And I'm just like, oh, man, I got to switch some of my good stuff to be. Because I figured he'd see like my last 10 minutes maybe. So I kind of like switched my order in my head. Like I'm going to make sure my last 10 is really strong. Did you feel like be. you nailed it? I felt good. I felt good. I was, it was tough that it was the first night. I wish I had like been in the club and like the first night at the club is always like, you're kind of trying it on, you know? And a lot of the times that's a Wednesday or a Thursday. This one starts on a Friday. So you're thrown into the fire right away. Like it's Friday night. You got to bring it. You got to start your first show. You don't get the BP of a Wednesday (laughs) night. You know what I'm saying? So the audience doesn't know. No, the audience did not know. So what's the, you, you introduced Seinfeld. What's the reaction so I you know, like did my normal closing thing, and then I said, "Hey, I know it seems like the show is over, but it is not. When you come to Gotham Comedy Club, you never know who you're going to see." Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Seinfeld, and the place was like, "What? He's here!" Like, and then just bananas standing up. They saw him because at this point they see him walking through, but but they're thinking he's you know just there, and now it's like mm-hmm. he's walking to the stage, and now they're like. Wow, we our trip to New York City paid off. Like Gotham gets a, a lot of locals, but they also get some tourists and you just feel their energy of like can you believe this? Like we we came to New York City and we're seeing Jerry Seinfeld pop into a comedy club. Like it's just it's awesome to see. I mean, it is it's really cool.
1: I'm so happy that we're having this conversation. I know you probably thought this was going to go a totally different way too. No, not <laughs> at all, man. I just love talking, whatever.
2: <laughs> then you were like, oh, he's going to totally ask me about the White Sox. And... But I want to seem like I'm like dropping his name. I, 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 to me, I was, I'm, like, feel terrible that I didn't get a picture with him. But I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to be like, because he's, you know, really tight with Sebastian. You know, they've had dinner together. Jerry kind of has said like. That's the guy that I really love. That's working right now. Had him on comedians in cars getting coffee. Had I him saw. On. So I was trying to act like, hey, I'm no big deal, no big deal. Like you don't <laughs> want to be that guy, like up his ass, asking for a picture, <laughs> and like. So my wife was supposed to, she did come that night from Chicago, but she was delayed like four hours, so she missed. And I called her right when I heard. I was like, you know, babe, this is gonna be awesome tonight. Jerry Seinfeld's coming. And she was like, What? And oh then man. Delayed. Delayed. Missed it. She would have been like, Can we get a picture? You know, she would have been It's a little she, but that's an
1: easier sell that's though. A, right. That, exactly. that's a, a much easier sell than if if, if, if you asked. ask right. for it. For sure. All right. Well, then let me let me ask you this. You do a ton of charity work. Like you emcee a lot of charity gigs. Why is that so important to you? Well,
2: when I um Started out, there was there's always these events, and the you know, you know, the South side. I mean, we're from virtually the same, same area, neighborhood. <laughs> same neighborhood, and th- there's always charitable things going on out there. People are always looking to help each other. Our son, um, had cancer, he was diagnosed when he was like a year and a half, he had leukemia, rough patch, um, when he f- was first diagnosed, and then, um, just an, a tough path because it's such, such a long path. Um, and during that time it was like, you know, maybe I could do some things to raise money f- to help, uh, people, you know, at first we were throwing it to, uh, research in pediatric cancer. And then we thought, you know what, maybe we could, it just felt like maybe we could see more if, of what we were doing, if we gave it to families. Cause then all of a sudden we were going through it and, um, we realized that families, you just need something you know it's like one less thing to worry about if you have if this influx of cash that you can just kind of alleviate some burden and um you know i've reached out to the comedy community in chicago and they've been so great and donating their time and coming out and doing shows with me and i mean it's important to me because it's uh it's just like who i think it's who i am and i i think that comedy is a great unifier and i also been to a million different types of fundraisers, and sometimes they feel like a shakedown, and sometimes you feel like you're not getting anything out of it. I feel good about the fact that our fundraiser is just a fun night for everybody. Everyone walks out like, wow, that was just a shared experience, and it's a good time, and it's just good for the soul. We're both White Sox fans. Oh, yeah. I, I want to throw something.
1: What? Why are you pointing at me? I saw you.
2: I was at the game when you threw out your first pitch, and dude, it was a great first pitch. Thank you. I've I been, was randomly at that game, and I was like, "All right, let me see this," because I'm not always there that early either, you know. And I was like, "Let me watch this." You had your glove, didn't you?
1: No, it wasn't mine. So here's the story behind that. There's, there's, it was the they were doing a whole thing with media people throwing out the first pitch. It was a bracket, okay. Oh, yeah? So it was me and Jen Latta. We we had met up in the championship. So in the first two rounds because I had done it twice before, oh, you had, yeah. so the first two rounds, I just I just lobbed it. like I was just like, okay, I, yeah. I just playing catch. This is easy. um And then the last day, we were sitting there, and Jen was like, do we get to like warm up? And I said, yeah,, we, I mean, we can throw the ball around. And there was this guy who was sitting. he had came in for autographs, and he had this glove from like the thirties. And I was like that's really cool. Can I do you mind if I check it out? My grandfather played in the Negro League, so I have his wow, gloves from the 30s. So I was like, oh, this is super cool yeah. to actually have one that you could touch cuz I have his framed. Like I I the the original dirt, like all of it, like that it is, is cool. in there. And and so this guy gave me his glove and I was like, I, can do you mind if I use this for the first pitch? And he's like, no, yeah, do it. Like please go out there and do it. So I and I told the story this week on on the on the station, but Sale was catching the first pitch, and I said to Sale before he went behind the plate, I said, "Can I let one go?" And he's like, "Yes, but I'm not wearing a cup, so if you skip it, I'm gonna mess you up." Oh yeah. So just know added that pressure. Yeah, the, the added pressure of this all star, all world pitcher oh, man. telling you this. Um, and I said, "I'm not gonna skip it. I promise you." And so I threw it. I and he goes. He was. If you see the video of it, I'll send you the video of it. He's amazed by it. His face is like, "What?" And then he came back to me and he goes, "Did you throw me a cutter?" And I said, "Yes, I threw <laughs> you a cutter." So I played oh, college you threw a ball. Breaking ball, huh? Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. So how hard did you throw that one? About seventy. Man. Yeah, it was a rope. So, so the only thing I that week. Kevin Hart had thrown out the first pitch, and he I think he had thrown it at like 62. And I said, if nothing else. In the zone? Yeah, he got it there. I want to throw the ball harder than Kevin Hart did. Yeah. Like, that was the only thing that was on my mind. <laughs> and I was like, the only athletic talent I hat, that. that I had. love that that's what motivated you. Hell oh, yeah. Because, like, you know, I, I was like, You're not in my park. I can't have Kevin Hart have the record in my park. But it's the only athletic gift I have. Is my arm strength. Like it's the only thing. I'm not fast. I'm not particularly strong. I couldn't hit. I had two home runs my entire baseball career. Two. And they came in the same game. Really? Yeah. Oh, you had a day. I had a great day. So that was the one time that I could actually like show out. Hey, man. You play college baseball. You gotta be athletic to do that. I'm decent. Where'd you go to school? I went to DePaul. We had we had the club squad and we played a bunch of uh NAIA teams and D D one, we played Northwestern once and got just whew. Oh yeah. I had to pitch in that game. I'm a catcher by trade and I throw like a catcher. Like it's right here. Yeah, it's yeah. not nothing fluid about it. But I had to pitch because we got bombed so bad and I actually did okay. And then my arm got tired and I was throwing curveballs that were twelve to six. Wow It's a beautiful thing. Anyway.
2: No, that's great. I I've really come back to baseball. I went into basketball. Deep during the Jordan years, and I grew up like that first part of my life, baseball, and then like my this. I feel like I'm going back to baseball. Well, I, I've been really trying so
1: hard not to get a, too far out ahead of myself with this particular White Sox team. I really like them. So they're they're missing some stuff. They needed one and a half more starters, right? But Tim Anderson, I need more of it. Love it. I, like there's there's something about him right now that I think is so South side like that's so like you know what yeah we are gonna brag a this little is bit. Who we are and if you come at our guy that I think that, that what the Royals did back in April got white Sox fans attention yeah that white, like that's our guy like right let's not mess around here so I I like it and
2: giolito has been great so He's got swagger and that you need that especially when you're coming up like they're they need leadership, they need swagger, they need confidence, they need all these things and I mean I think that they're like they're not healthy either right now. So their injuries are I mean that's a major factor and they're still at basically 500. I think they're going to be right around there all, but they're a fun 500 to watch. I'm telling you, I'd like there's games when it's not Giolito starting or uh, Lopez. and <laughs> The drop-off there is tough. It's it's steep. It is really steep, and more so with Rodon going down. But they are still – like you said, I don't think they're that many pieces away. If they can be healthy, that's, that's what you learn, though, too, or you're reminded of. You can have all the pieces, but if you're not healthy – It doesn't matter.
1: I, I was at the ballpark yesterday, and I'm not going to say who, but someone – very well connected inside White Sox said, come here. Looked at the schedule and said, we're going to be above 500 before the second week of June. Yeah. And then, then this person was like, don't look at the weeks after that though. Right. 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 And I was like, well, I was cause it's like Astros, Cubs, Red Sox. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. after that, it's like, but we're going to go over 500 before the second week. And I'm like, don't tell me that, man, because <laughs> I'm getting so like excited about what the future may hold. It's yeah, pretty I crazy. Mean, they're
2: doing things that they should do, right? I mean, they went on the road to Houston, and they won two games. That was huge. The Twins they, thing was
1: a debacle, though. That was terrible. And when I saw Manny Banuelos was starting, I was like, oh, God,
2: no. But they, they, they had to get fat on the Royals, and they did. Like, You have to beat the bad teams. You have to. And win now the, you got Cleveland those series, Split series against good teams. And those will turn into wins in a couple years. I mean, even if they're a couple years away, what where would they be if Rodon and Kopak were healthy? Like those are pieces that they do have. They're on the yep. They technically would be on the roster. Yeah, like starting. that's and and
1: that's that one and a half starter. You right. know that I'm talking about. It makes me it makes me crazy because I think about like maybe they should sign Dallas Keuchel. You know that if we are talking about a team that's still hovering around 500 and still in contention for a wild card in the American League, which they are technically right now, would I want Rick Hahn to then spend some money on Dallas Keuchel? And I'm fighting myself on this. I'm totally fighting. Just got to give up
2: money. That's all you got to give up. Yeah. And they got it because. But to do it now, I don't know if that's the move because you don't have Kopech, you don't have Rodon, you don't have um, who else is missing? They got another pretty big name that's out, right? Who am I thinking of? Well, they don't. They don't have like a center fielder. Yeah, they don't have the. Uh,
1: you're kind of you're you're getting lucky with some of the stuff with James McCann. Like he's been really good so far this year. He's been great, but huh? that's but that's kind of the crazy thing too. Abreu like got hot and then got cold, and then yesterday he hit a homer. Moncada got hot, got really cold, and then he hits a, like it's. There's a lot of good that's like Aloy is exciting. Moncada is exciting. Yeah. Anderson's exciting. I'm, Pat, I'm trying so hard not
2: to get excited about hope, our boys. I just, I, I want to see Tim Anderson have a great season. Me and I want to see him have another great season next year. And then you're really in position. I, I just think that then, where will Abreu be then? He's got another, uh, he'll
1: be a free agent. But, I mean, I think that they want to bring him back. Yeah. I think, like, from everything that I've said or heard from them, they want him, they think that he's got value that goes beyond his value on the field, which is valuable. Yeah. You know, he he is a 900 OPS type player, but they really think that his leadership is taking a step forward, and he used to be, well, this was a guy that people looked at as the leader of the the Latino players, and now it's – He's their captain. Like, that's the yeah. guy. And you saw it with the Anderson thing in April. No one wanted that smoke with Jose Abreu. Jose walked out there, and I was like, that's the end of this. Right. Because And I like that. I like that about this team, man. Um, I'm sorry I dragged you down that, no, that I rabbit love it, hole. Man. <laughs> Talking about the White Sox and me getting excited. If people, uh, when they come see you this week, what are they going to see?
2: They're going to see, uh, you know, I'm – I have some new stuff. I mean, I talk a ton about being married, having kids. I do some local stuff when I'm home, which is always fun because I don't get to do it on the road. Um, Yeah, I think we'll see a a fun show. It's going to be, we have the Saturday 9 o'clock show already sold out. And then the Friday, the 8 o'clock show on Friday and the 7 o'clock show on Saturday are nearly sold out. So we're going to have some good crowds. And that place rocks. Like, Zany's in Old Town. Is a great club. It's trapped energy in there, and it's just a good environment. I'm, I'm really looking forward to being back there.
1: If people want to follow you on social media, how can they?
2: I'm at uh, McGannPat pat on Twitter, at mcgann underscore pat on Instagram, and um, I got a Facebook page. I got a website, patmcganncomedy.com. dot com. That's where I'm at. I appreciate you coming in here. Oh, Lawrence man, thank you so much for having me, man. This was this was awesome, and uh, good
1: luck with everything. And I here's what I would like. I would like to bring you back in here at some point and do an even longer form interview with you. I'm here, man. If that's okay. Of course. I'd love to come back. All right. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.